What's going on, y'all? This is Mickey here, uh, back with another video from Sovereignty and Grace Ministries. I just wanted to let y'all know that if you weren't already aware, this is actually part two of a lesson that I did on um, just really an introduction to the Gospel of Matthew. Um, I did one big lesson, but then I decided to split it up into two parts. I, I ended up talking longer than I, I intended to. I was just a lot of information that I wanted to present to you guys. So if you haven't seen part one already, then I would highly recommend you go back and watch it first because this is literally just the second half of a long lesson. You'll be picking up right in the middle of one of my lessons if you just start with this video. So go watch part one first, which you can find on my channel, and then come back and watch this one. If you've already seen part one and you're here for this one, thank you so much for the support. Thank you for watching, and I hope y'all learned something, and I hope y'all enjoy. Matthew, the man that wrote this gospel, he was a tax collector when Jesus called him to be a disciple. Yeah, that's right. He was a tax collector. And um, so this gives you a pretty decent idea of, you know, where he came from, his background, because you can imagine how hated he was and how despised he was and how much he probably yearned for his people to want him and love him, but they hated his guts. So we actually know very little about Matthew as a man. Uh, we don't know much about like the type of man he was, the character that he held. Um, but there is a small account in the Gospel of Matthew that, that we can read that shows us just a little bit about uh, who Matthew was as a man, and we can kind of deduce some things about him. So I'm going to turn there real quick. Okay, I'm in Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 11. So you can either just listen, or if you want to pause the video and open your own Bible and read along with me, then that is cool too. But I'm going to be reading, starting in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house that house being Matthew's house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? So that last question is irrelevant to Matthew's character. If you stick with me and stick with this channel and this ministry, hopefully down the line we can, we can talk about that passage more in depth. But what can we deduce from this passage about Matthew? I think the first thing that we can learn about Matthew is that he was a humble man. Um, Matthew never once anywhere in his gospel says that he wrote it. He never acknowledges his authorship at all. It's almost like he doesn't want people to realize he doesn't want the recognition. He wants all the recognition to go to the Lord. The only reason we know that Matthew wrote it is because all of the earliest manuscripts of this gospel have his name attached to them, and the early church fathers attest that Matthew is the one that wrote this gospel. On top of that, anytime he mentions himself in this gospel, which is very little, but when he does, he refers to himself in the third person like we just read there. He refers to himself as if he's someone else talking about Matthew. This is just so humble, and it's such a humble way to show this book, this writing isn't about me. It's all about Jesus. Many biblical scholars believe that Matthew probably wasn't very religious before uh, he came to Jesus, mainly because uh, as a tax collector, he probably he, he probably wasn't allowed in many synagogues and at times maybe not even the temple because of how much he was despised by his fellow men. So this explains a little bit uh, how quickly 
And without hesitation, he followed Jesus' call. The Bible says Jesus said, follow me. And he got up and left and followed Jesus. Um, not only because Jesus was a Jew, but because Jesus was a rabbi and a biblical teacher. Um, th I mean, Matthew, th this, this, this shows us why Matthew responded so positively and why throughout all the Gospels, tax collectors respond so positively to Jesus and his message and the love and inclusion that he shows for them. I also think it's evident in this passage that Matthew was a loving guy and a good friend. I think Matthew loved his friends. Now, it says his friends were publicans and sinners and harlots and Gentiles. But as soon as he started following Jesus, he brought Jesus back to his house. He invited all of his friends over because he wanted them to meet his new Savior and his new Lord. And this is a sign that he truly loved his friends. And I personally think that Matthew was probably not an evil man uh, before he came to the Lord. I think he was probably doing this tax collector thing because he was making money and he had to provide for himself or his family. We, we're, not, we're not sure. But um, there's a story in the Gospels that, uh, that we will talk about down the line eventually. Uh, there's a man by the name of Zacchaeus. If you don't know who Zacchaeus is, that's fine. But he was a tax collector who uh, was saved by Jesus. And he came to the Lord. And when he was saved... He felt so convicted about all the money that he stole from people over the years that he went and he went and returned all of the money that he had stolen from the people. And it says he returned it sevenfold. He returned, he gave them money essentially because he felt so convicted about it now. Now, it is possible that Matthew had to do something like this and it just isn't recorded in Scripture, but because nothing like that is even mentioned in Scripture, I feel pretty confidently that Matthew probably wasn't stealing from people abundantly. He was probably just doing his job and he was hated for it because he was grouped at, in as with the other tax collectors who were stealing money. So this gives us a little, just just a, a snippet of background into Matthew's life. You know, he's a tax collector, humble, you know, probably not very religious until Jesus. He, he was a loving guy. He loved his friends. And he was probably not a horrible man, okay? Now that we know just a few basic things about Matthew, we can get into his gospel message and what he's trying to portray to us, his audience. So first things first, um, when did Matthew write his, his gospel account? Um, we know that uh, the New Testament is not in order of when it was written. So Matthew's gospel account is not the oldest written book in the entire New Testament. Um, we believe, but most biblical scholars believe that it was written before A.D. 70 because there is not really any mention of the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple that took place in A.D. 70. Now, it is highly disputed because some biblical scholars believe that it was written after A.D. 70. Um, I personally believe it was probably written in between A.D. 60 and A.D. 70. I may even expand that to between A.D. 50 and A.D. 70. Sometime in that time frame, but that's not extremely important. We know that this book was inspired by God, and we know that it was penned by the hand of Matthew. So when we examine the four Gospels, um, we talked about how it's all the same Gospel, just four different emphases from four different perspectives. Matthew really emphasizes and tells the story of Jesus as a king, Jesus as a sovereign king. Mark, on the other hand, presents Jesus as a lowly servant. Um, when we look at Luke, he presents Jesus as the Son of Man. And on the other hand, John presents Jesus as the Son of God. So we, we kind of see these central themes that these men have implanted in their Gospels and how they're all different, yet they all work together so perfectly to show us the true nature 
of the Lord. I'm not going to do a super deep dive into Mark, Luke, or John yet. We will get there uh, down the line. But if we just look at the very beginning of these Gospels, we can see these truths um, laid out. In, in the very beginning of Matthew, we start with a genealogy of Jesus from Abraham traced through David down to Jesus. It's a, a, a recording of Jesus' royal ancestry to show you that Jesus has a right to rule as king of Israel. If we go to Mark, Mark doesn't have any genealogy at all. Why? Because Jesus is a servant, and a servant's lineage is irrelevant in that time. If we go to Luke, Luke has a genealogy at the beginning that, um, that traces all the way back to the very first man, Adam, because he's trying to, to really emphasize the humanity of Jesus. He's trying to portray Jesus as the son of man. And then if we look at John, John also doesn't have a genealogy because he's trying to portray Jesus as the son of God not a human, right? John starts off by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Those are his first words. And the Word in that, in that context means Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus is with God, and Jesus was God. When we really hone in on uh, Matthew's message and Matthew's emphasis on Jesus as king, if we really look deeper and apply that to our view of Matthew, you will see that Virtually every single paragraph in the Gospel of Matthew has some allusion to Jesus' kingdom or his kingship. If we start from the very beginning, in chapter 1, like I already mentioned, we have a recording of Jesus' royal ancestry and his right to rule. In chapter 2, we see an earthly king that is jealous and that, you know, is, is dreading the birth of Jesus because he is a new king. And also in chapter 2, we see these magi, these wise men, come and present royal gifts to the infant Jesus. If we go on to chapter 3, then we see a man by the name of John the Baptist who heralded this king. He heralded the king Jesus. He came before, and his message was, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, if we go to chapter 4, even, and we look at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, the temptation climaxed with Satan offering Jesus the kingdoms of this world. It's all rotating around kingship and kingdom. If we go on to chapters 5 through 7, which is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus essentially lay out the law for this new kingdom that he is establishing, right? And those chapters are just so full of biblical truth, I cannot wait to get there. But all this to say, that's just the first seven chapters of this 28-chapter gospel. And it is so evident that you know, Jesus is king, and Matthew is making, making sure that you know it. Something else that Matthew also does is that he, he focuses uniquely on the rejection of Jesus as king. Um, no other gospel really emphasizes and hones in on the rejection of Jesus as brutally as, as Matthew does. I mean, even from the very start, rejection is woven into the storyline. I mean, from the very beginning of this book, before Jesus was even born, we see Jesus' mother, Mary, you know, almost get rejected by Joseph, right? We see Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus having to flee to Egypt um, because King Herod wants to kill Jesus, right? I mean, it's just, and then as the, as the story goes on, I mean, throughout Jesus' entire ministry, the, he, Jesus himself said that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, right? And then obviously it climaxes when Jesus is rejected by his own people and he's put to death. Throughout this entire gospel is just woven a story of rejection, so not only is he presented as a king, this great king, but he's also revealed as, the, as a rejected king. However, 
Matthew will not let us forget that this king will return one day. He makes it very clear. He actually says in, I have it written right here, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, that we will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Man, that is such a, I mean, I, I cannot wait till that day. Um, all this to say, you know, these are some major emphases that Matthew hones in on. Jesus is king, right? And he makes sure we know that. But he also makes sure that we know Jesus was rejected by his chosen people. And then he wants to make sure that we know that this rejected king will come again on the clouds of the sky with power and with great glory. So today, I, I just pray for me and for us as we study this great gospel. I pray that we all come out of it with a true conviction for, uh, you know, the, the power and the, the eternal majesty of Jesus Christ, as well as a true conviction for the power of Satan and the power of sin that had a grip over the people of Israel, these people that rejected Jesus as king. And something else that I love about Matthew is that no gospel is more instructive toward followers of Christ specifically than Matthew. So if you're a believer, as am I, that should be so encouraging and that should give you something to look forward to. But if you're an unbeliever, we're literally, this is the gospel. The gospel is for unbelievers. You know, at, at the very end of Matthew, Jesus sends the disciples out to the four corners of the world to tell others about the Lord, which we will obviously get to that down the line. But all that said, I hope that this gave you a good idea of what we're getting into. Um, I hope this gave you a good intro, intro to Matthew. We'll call this an intro to Matthew. Um, this gave you a good idea of where we're going to be heading over the following weeks and months. And I'm just so, so, so excited to dive into Scripture next week with you guys. So if you come back next Friday, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 1. We'll be looking at the genealogy of Jesus, which may seem like an insignificant passage, but I promise you there is so much that Jesus can reveal to us in his words. So once again, thank you for watching. Thank you for tuning in. If you stayed here this long, thank you so much. I'm so thankful for you guys. And come back next week. Leave a like, comment, subscribe. Peace.